Oh boy. You might not like this one. You might not like many of them, but uh, you're really not going to like this one. Um, when I decided on First Peter, one of the many reasons I decided that we should spend some time in First Peter is that I feel like it really speaks to our current situation. And I feel like it speaks to where it seems our current situation is headed in the future. And today's verses seem especially relevant, uncomfortably relevant, maybe even painfully relevant. The people Peter was writing to, followers of Jesus in the first century in Asia Minor, they faced some tough times They had to make some tough decisions in those tough times. They struggled to figure out what to do with their dual citizenship. They'd been citizens, most of them, of the Roman Empire their entire lives. But now, as followers of Jesus, they're also citizens of God's kingdom. And so they're wrestling, they're trying to figure out what does our new loyalty to Christ mean for our loyalty to Caesar? Can we now, should we now, rebel against the ungodly earthly authorities whose economic practices, after all, are unfair, who are curtailing our liberties, and in Christ we're supposed to be free, right? What were they to do with their dual citizenship? What are we to do with ours? Certainly you didn't hear any similarities there, did you? Peter tells us what to do. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 This is the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. May God bless the the preaching, the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray. Lord, we're confronted with something in Scripture today that, if we're honest, we have all failed at. We all probably still struggle with. We all, at times, probably don't know what to do with it. 
to be faithful to you, to be faithful to this command, it is difficult. And so, Lord, we need great grace this morning. We need great grace in the forgiveness of our failings in this so far. We need grace in our continued strugglings with it. And oh, how we need to see Jesus through it all. Only you can do all of those things for us. And so to you we cry, please help. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Be seated. Be subject. Perhaps your translation, many translations actually, say submit yourselves. And together those two ideas, subjection, submission, that's helpful in giving us a good robust picture of what it is Peter's talking about here. What it is he's talking about involves elements of obedience, loyalty, respect, maybe even reverence, compliance, right? That's what it is that Peter's talking about. That's what he means when he says be subject. So if that's the what, then who is the who? Who are we to be subject to? Every human institution. Now, that could use a little unpacking. There's really no doubt what Peter is talking about here. Some type of government leadership is in view here. Because Peter gives two specific examples. It's kind of a, an A to Z example or a soup to nuts kind of thing. Uh, emperor, right? Or king, maybe in your translation. A uh, person with very broad powers, maybe national, maybe regional. And then a, a lesser authority, a governor, a, a more local authority. And so by those examples, Peter's really directing the subjection, he's directing the submission, not to the government itself, but to the ones doing the governing. That word translated institution, every human institution, that's peculiar. Because normally that word is translated creation. Like Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We don't say he's a new institution. That would be weird. So if we're going to understand Peter's instruction correctly, he's saying, submit yourself to, be subject to your leaders, your rulers, other created beings just like yourselves. Not to some inanimate thing like a government, but to the people doing the governing. Now, that's the what and the who. Now, why? Why would we do that? Why would we subject or submit ourselves to them? What's the rationale? Well, the first part of the why, Peter says, is for the Lord's sake. You're going to do this for the Lord's sake. Now, what benefit is it to the Lord that we would do this? What does, what does he stand to gain from all of this? Now, uh, the answer here is not explicitly stated. It just says, for the Lord's sake. But it can definitely be reasonably inferred and deduced. Our submission for the Lord's sake has to do with his glory. How do we know that? Well, consider first the immediate context of this verse. Verse 
what came right before this command to be subject in verse 13? Well, verse 12, of course, comes before verse 13, where Peter was telling us that our honorable conduct, or if you were here last week, our beautiful lives, our good deeds would be seen by outsiders and result in God being glorified. This submission to authorities is just another example of a good work that they will see. And that's going to be mentioned more specifically in verse 15 in just a second. Now, the rest of how we infer and deduce that God's glory is at stake here is from the rest of what we know that the Bible says about submitting to authorities. Right? A great companion passage to these verses, we're not going to turn there, but you can later, is Romans 13 where Paul explores this topic, and he much more explicitly teaches that the folks in position of authority are only in those positions because God put them there. They didn't rise to power by chance or by their own merit. They're in those positions by the providence of God. So, therefore, if you resist them... You are resisting God. If you refuse to be subject to them, you are actually rebelling against God who put them there. So when we submit ourselves, when we are subject to the authorities in our lives, we bring God glory. We bring him glory because we're acknowledging the fact that we're saying, in essence, I know they're only in power because you placed them there. We're acknowledging God's sovereignty. But we're also acknowledging his goodness and care for us, especially when we obediently submit to bad leaders. When we submit to a bad leader, God's glorified because we're trusting him. That despite our bad circumstances, we believe he's actually working things for our good. He'll still take care of us even if the leaders that we have to submit to are bad leaders. Peter says this is for the Lord's sake. He goes on in verse 15 to call this submitting, to call this being subject, God's will. It's what he wants you to do. It's his good plan for you. And there's an important practical benefit here for your being subject to authority. When you do so, you will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds appealing to me. You around any foolish people ever? And the ignorance? Right? I would like to silence that sometimes. Now, Peter's got some pretty specific ignorance in mind from foolish people that he and these believers in Asia Minor are encountering. The foolish people in question are enemies of Christ and enemies of Christ's followers, which is almost everybody. And certainly every leader. People can't stand the Christians. 
They're so disruptive. They're disruptive to the status quo. They're bad for society, those Christians are. They, they refuse to worship our gods. They refuse to worship the God of the harvest, so when we have bad crops come fall, that's on them. They refuse to bow down to our God of commerce. So when we go into a recession, that's on them. They're doing this. And y'all, the ignorance that they spew forth, oh, it gets crazy, right? If you know your church history, you know some of the crazy things that Christians are accused of in the first century. It's ridiculous. It's slanderous. The early Christians were accused of being cannibals. Well, because I heard them say that they drink the blood of Christ and they eat his flesh. They're accused of participating in drunken orgies. Now, the drunken part, unfortunately, folks in Corinth were giving a little bit of traction to. But the love feasts in question that only certain people were admitted to Celebrating the Lord's Supper. So, of course, only believers can be invited to that. Admitted to the table. They were also accused of being in incestuous relationships. If a man referred to his wife as also being his sister, though all he meant by that was she is also his sister in the Lord in addition to being his spouse. Like, this is the kind of craziness, right? Uh, wild, crazy things they are accusing Christians of. Very little basis in reality. So if you then, on top of that, have Christians who were to say, well, Jesus set me free, so I don't have to submit to no government. Well, then their refusal to be a good citizen of Rome only adds further reason for scorn and reproach. But if Christians will be committed to living beautiful lives, filled with good works, submitting as best they can to the local and national government, a few reasonable people could still be found who would have to say at the end of the day, these things don't add up. These crazy things I'm hearing about these Christians, they don't add up. They don't jive with what I'm seeing. Because my neighbor says he's a Christian. He's just not like that. He's a good person. He's good for the city. God says that will happen. God says that will happen as people submit themselves to the authorities that he's put in place. When we submit to the authorities that God has put in place, it gives people one less reason to hate the Lord. One less reason to hate us. It helps make sure that the scandal of amazing grace is the only offensive thing at the center of attention. And it by itself is offensive enough people hate it. People hate being told that they're so bad off that they can't do anything to fix their problem. 
right? That will be offensive enough. We don't need to add anything to it. Now, what about the exceptions to this rule? Isn't there some fine print somewhere? Surely there have got to be some situations that I don't have to submit in, right? What if the government is really corrupt? What if the leader is a tyrant? What if the lands we're living in in Asia Minor, what if they are occupied fraudulently and by unjust means? What if I disagree with the policies of the government? What if they have unbiblical laws? Well, it's interesting, if not a little upsetting, that Peter doesn't list any exceptions. His instructions right here are broad and they are sweeping. Now we know from the whole counsel of God's word that yes, we are only going to obey our leaders up to a point. We'll obey them so long as obeying them doesn't cause us to disobey God. We know this from Jesus' teaching. We know this from Paul's teaching. But that is a pretty narrow exception. And it hardly includes any of the things we would like, to, like it to include as suitable exceptions for our submission. Like, I don't have to obey if I don't like it. I don't have to obey if I think it's a bad idea. I don't have to obey if they're just unbiblical from A to Z. No, Peter's instruction is for us to submit in lots of circumstances we wish we didn't have to. What Peter is telling the first century believers to do is staggering. Now, I'm sure many of you have quite a bit of angst about our government, about the state of things in our country. Guys, whatever misgivings you have about our government, the leaders that you are supposed to submit to, oh man, that pales in comparison to what these believers were faced with. It doesn't hold a candle Peter is commanding the believers in his day to be subject to Nero. Nero. Peter mentions submitting to governors. You mean a governor like Pontius Pilate? Like him? Be, be, subject yourself to him? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he means. Sit with that for a little while. Let that sink in. We're probably going to need some time to adjust to that idea. I know Peter needed some time to adjust to it. 
Think, think about who this is. Peter saying, submit, be subject, right? The same Peter who lopped off a soldier's ear trying to help Jesus, trying to get Jesus to rebel against the government. Now he's saying, be subject. Submit yourselves to an emperor who was not only cruel, unimaginably cruel, he was also crazy. And because of his mental deficits, governed very poorly in addition to his cruelty. Regardless of that, we're not given any latitude here about who we will and won't submit to. No standard that says, all right, well, just submit to the good ones and the bad ones you can ignore. No, there's none of that. Because if there was then, honestly, what level of perfection would we then require in our leaders before we submitted to them? It can't be because of how bad they are that we don't submit. Nor can it be because of how free we think we are. Peter calls that excuse out too in verse 16. Don't go there, he says. Don't, don't try that. Are we free in Christ? Absolutely. We are free from bondage to sin and death. We are free from condemnation. We are free from God's wrath. Are we free to do whatever we want? No. Our, our, our freedom isn't freedom to do as we please. It's, it's not freedom from service. Our freedom in Christ is just a change in masters. That's really what it is. Our freedom is still servitude. We just have a much better master now. We're now in servitude to God. We're now servants, bond slaves, maybe some of your translations. Now, I love how Peter gets super practical here for us at the end. It's just super simple. He tries to boil this down, something very compact and easy to remember. What does it look like day in and day out to submit to authority? What does it look like to live life as a servant of God? Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love your sisters and brothers in the Lord. Fear God. Now I want you to think about these. Especially in the context of submitting, of being subject to authorities. This addition of honor really ups the ante, doesn't it? That's not going to let us get away so easily. Honor everyone. Do you? Is that a, a good assessment of your relating to others? That you, that you honor them? Rich or poor? Black or white? Republican or Democrat? Do you honor them whether or not you deem them worthy of honor? See, it's one thing to, quote-unquote, submit. Right? We say, okay, fine, I'll submit. I'll do what they say, but I'm not going to like it, and I'm going to say lots of disparaging things about them, but I will submit. 
I'm going to demonize you when I disagree with you. See, we can think that we're getting by on a technicality. We think that we can say, oh, I, I've submitted. But honoring is so much more difficult. We're not getting away with that. See, honor is to admit, it's to see the image of God in another person. They were created by God just like I was. And they're worthy of respect for that simple fact. See, this isn't ultimately about externals. It never is. It's never just about externals. This is about what's in your heart. That's what Jesus was always going for. It's what the gospel goes after. You wash the outside of a cup, great. The inside is filthy. You've never technically broken the sixth commandment? Yay. You're murdering people all day long with your hatred. It's always about the heart. Let me ask you a question. Along these lines of moving beyond externals, getting to the heart, especially as it relates to submitting to authorities and honoring them. So imagine you came in this morning, you found your seat, you're getting ready for worship, Deborah's playing the little reflection and preparation piece. And out of the corner of your eye, you see behind you, in through those double doors, Nancy Pelosi. She comes down the aisle. She slides into an empty seat in your row. Now, I want you to think about what just happened in your heart. Right then. What just happened in your heart right then? Even when I said her name, what was your instinctive, emotional response? Was it honor? She's sitting there next to you now. Are you still ready to worship? Or is there a roadblock somewhere in your heart? Are you able to honor her as Peter commands? Granted, we don't agree with her politics. Granted, we feel like she supports a number of unbiblical positions. But those are not approved loopholes for not honoring her for not honoring anyone. Now, I don't pretend for a minute that this is easy. This dual citizenship thing that we've got to figure out, that's hard to navigate. It is complex. It, it very often feels like we're being pulled in two different directions. We, we see things in our culture, we see things in our government, and we say, that's not right. That should not be. That's not pleasing to the Lord. But then, is our response to what we see pleasing to the Lord? 
Y'all, I am grieved. And I think the Lord is grieved too. Every time I see someone, especially if it's a Christian, embrace some saying or sentiment like, let's go, Brandon. That's not honor. See, we have biblical categories. We have right ways to respond to things that aren't right. We have appropriate ways to respond if if the laws and practices of our land are unbiblical. We should lament. We should mourn. We should grieve. We should cry out to the Lord who put these people in their positions in the first place. We should disagree with their policies. We should disagree strongly. One way of submitting to our authorities is if our authorities have set up a structure of government in which we are supposed to vote and participate, we should vote and participate. That's another way of submitting to the authorities. Disagree, but don't demonize your fellow image bearer. It's not right. It's not honor. Now, again, this is a hard issue. And don't forget to treat it as such, right? Who do you have trouble honoring? At the mention of whose name do you get all riled up? And what is that a symptom of? Why does that stir you up so much? What's going on deep down in your heart that makes this so difficult? What idol is it of yours that feels threatened? What is it ultimately that you say, ooh, if these people are in power, I might lose blank? What is it? I might lose financial security. I might lose comfort. I might lose status. It's a heart issue. And the Lord's putting his finger on something when you get all stirred up about it. Now, we would do well, of course, to consider our Savior in all of this. How he honored even the fiercest of his enemies. Did he take them to task at times? Oh, yeah. Did he mince his words? Nope. Did he equivocate? Never. But he honored. He even submitted. Y'all, we are so reluctant to submit, to be subject at times. We're we're afraid of what it'll cost, uh, of the pain or the discomfort it might bring. Jesus sure didn't let that stop him. Y'all, if anybody could have ever said, no, I'm sorry, but I I refuse. I I just will not. I cannot. This is unjust. This isn't right. If ever anybody, then surely it was the eternal Son of God in the face of ridiculously trumped-up charges, the plotting and scheming of evil religious leaders. He could have in a moment said no. He could have brought the hammer down in judgment. 
could have crushed them on the spot. He could have called fire from heaven to consume them. But he didn't come in his first coming to bring judgment. He came in his first coming to bear judgment. Ours. To pay the penalty, to suffer our punishment for every time we have failed to honor someone as we should have. And in doing that, in him coming like that to bear our judgment, he honors us. What great honor he shows to us in dying the death that we should have died. Talk about people not worthy of honor. It's us. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. He loves us as brothers and sisters. Do you see how he did every single one of those things in verse 17? He honors those not worthy of honor. He loves earnestly his sisters and brothers. He feared God. He submitted to the Father's plan. He shrank back from it for a time because as he counted the cost, he knew it would be horrendous. He said, Father, if there's any other way. And oh yeah, don't forget, Peter adds, fourthly, honor the emperor. That, that's really a bit redundant, isn't it? He's already said honor everyone, and certainly the emperor is included in everyone, but he knows the emperor will be the hardest everyone to honor. Maybe he's reminding himself. He'll, he'll need that reminder. Peter will need that reminder in just a few years when he is crucified by the emperor that he is to honor. Friends, we, we honor because of how we've been shown honor. We submit because of how we've been purchased by the one through his own submission, lost his life that we might have life. So I ask you this morning, will you submit for the Lord's sake? Will you honor others even as you yourself have been honored by Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, it's not an easy thing you've called us to. It rubs against us. We bristle against your command. We want an exclusion. We want an exception. But if we are honest, we will thank you oh so very much that you, Lord Jesus, weren't looking for exceptions of people not to honor. You didn't claim your right to not submit to an unjust Roman execution. But you submitted yourself. You were subject to authorities. Even though it cost you everything. Oh Lord, help us to see how that plays into our own lives. How it should help shape our relationships, our politics, 
our life together in the body. Mold us. Shape us. Be at work in us, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.